Welcome to this week's edition of An Hour of Your Life. My name is Kim. And I am Steve. And we are still here. Thank goodness. What would you do without us? Thankfully, the COVID has not come across our house yet. No. And we're all still doing fine, but the... um, the governor and the the health director are predicting next week is going to be a really really rough really rough week not only for the state of Ohio but for the country. You know what though I saw somewhere that um, we are ranked like number I forget who it was Forbes maybe which you know is the expert on all things medical ranked us uh, number one in the country for like our response to the corona epidemic. Yeah, so Ohio. Cool. Basically, if you're not from Ohio, Ohio kicked this off early. We we went into a pretty much a statewide shutdown well before a lot of other states. In fact, our governor was uh, highlighted a by the BBC. By the BBC. If you are a listener in Wyoming, please tell me what your state. Write in and tell us what your state is doing because. At last check this morning, Wyoming only had one confirmed case of coronavirus. Yeah, and which is odd. And we we've been kind of keeping track of it. Like South Dakota, I looked earlier in the week. They really haven't at least and, and if you're from South Dakota and you're listening, please set me straight if I'm wrong, but at least the media is reporting that South Dakota really hasn't changed their way of life too much, which I understand. Like most businesses and restaurants you can still go in and sit down and enjoy yourself and most businesses are open, but South Dakota also has a smaller, more sparse population too. So it, you know, it makes sense. You know, I'm really interested in, I would like for some of our listeners overseas to call in and let us know Mm -hmm. because here in the United States, true, we get a lot of our news. It's local news. If we want to hear what's going on in the rest of the world, we do really have to work and seek that out. BBC is a good source for us. It's but, very hard um, yeah. because even, I mean, so much of, of the news is alarmist, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I think if, if this is one of those cases where you can't blow something out of proportion too much, do you but, know what I mean? You know because what? then more people are going to take precautions, but it's very, I, I, I suspect much of our news is sensationalistic because they still do need to get ratings. Obviously, this is the major thing going on in the world right now. So you're going to, all the news, the 24 hour news stations are having to, to jockey for position. And what can we lead with that the other stations not doing? So I think it's probably hard to find. When was the last truth. time you heard anything about the election? Uh, nothing. In fact, I was thinking about that earlier. We haven't heard anything about the democratic primary or I haven't, but I haven't been watching the local news either. Or it, the national news, I mean. Really, the only thing I turn into is um, I tune in every day at 2 o'clock to listen to Mike DeWine and Dr. Amy Acton. Yeah, it's it's all interesting. But what amazes me is, and th- I think this is just human nature, we hear some people who are taking this serious, and then we see, mostly through Facebook, yeah, people who are like, this is a hoax, it's not real. But you know what I have noticed, too, is those people are becoming fewer and further between which is good. I don't know. Uh, to me, it seems like it's hard for some people unless the flat earthers, unless <laughs> you can see it, you, you can't believe it. And, yeah. and so far, I, we've, there's we've always going to be those people. We've been preparing for this for now in Ohio, what, three to four weeks. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not started to peak yet. Mm-mm. I mean, we can it's see coming. it gradually they, rising. They say April 15th to yeah. May 15th so, is going to so be our I, peak. I think there's just a lot of people who don't believe it's going to happen because it's been talked about. And we're so used to that instantaneous, yeah, the twenty-four hour news cycle. Yeah, and we it's live in a very happening. instant culture. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, also, kind of want to apologize. We're getting the show out a little bit late today because we had some technical difficulties. But engineer Steve figured it out. Yeah, it's a cable. It was a bad cable. I didn't is, know if it was the board. I didn't know I'm if it was so the computer. Glad. I'm so glad it's a like a five dollar cable and not like a. Five hundred dollar board. It, it, it's not a five dollar cable. <laughs> oh, it's an Apple product. It's not going to be a five dollar. Oh, well, cable. still cheaper than brand new board. Yeah, it, it's a USB C cable. But uh, yeah, I mean, we we I had to troubleshoot and go through a lot of things. We even had to call uh, Kellen down here 
and ask her if she'd been messing with the board. Yeah. And she was very honest. We need honest to get her another no. show out. She has two shows out now. Yeah. Um, you can find them both on Podbean. Uh, probably not anywhere else. You kind of had to search for it a little bit, but. Yeah, she's. She's, she's a little baby. Yeah, she's a not going to be. A little baby podcaster. Nowhere but on Podbean. Yep. Are you ready to start the show proper? Yes. All right. I got some stats to throw at you, and I'm going to be taking... Well, wait. The, we haven't told them what the show's about. I'll get there. Okay. I'm going to be taking the lead on this one today, uh, but Steve's taking the lead next week. So this is a two-parter, um, so you got something to look forward to. Also... You know what that means? No. Is I didn't have time to do all my research. <laughs> it's not at, true. At the last it's not minute, true. We decided to come up with a two-part show. But but it would have been a two-part show anyway because there's so much about this topic. Um, but uh, we also the, the reason we're taking a lot of time at the beginning. But I um, what was it we were talking about earlier? Numbers. Oh, um, please listen and tell your friends we are we and oh, yeah. i suspect the podcast community as a whole are taking a little bit of a hit and it's not a big deal for us because we aren't getting paid for this show but for some of the bigger guys it probably is affecting their yeah, their we, financial situation we've noticed and i i keep track just for purely my entertainment and we are down probably about 20% listens right now and we suspect it's because a lot of you listen to us on your way to and from work. And since you're not going or to out and driving. Yeah. And since you're not doing that now, which is awesome. Great job following the stay at home order. But you can still listen to us on your Amazon device. You can still listen to us to tune out the kids. Like it's it's fine. You yeah. can listen to us even because if you're not we, in the car. Yeah, you know, we noticed that most of the podcast we listen to are when we're driving to pass the time. Mm-hmm. And so we think that's what it is. But we're down about 20%. Yeah. And so it's like no I big said, deal to us. It's not a big deal to us, but it's to, interesting. Oh, uh, it's interesting and some people like some of the bigger name entertainers and stuff, this is how they make their living. And it's not it's not glamorous and they probably don't make a huge living off of it, but believe me, if I could make my living <laughs> doing this, this is what I would be doing right now. Right. But still support. Remember your entertainers, especially probably, your local entertainers. I'd probably try to crank out two or three shows a week if <sighs> this was my full-time job. Right. So support your local entertainers. Kim, what are we talking about? All right, so what are we talking about today? Let me throw out some statistics at you. According to, and, and we'll see if our listeners can guess real okay, quick. It's a guessing game. It is. Okay. So according to the New Zealand Drug Foundation, alcohol sales tend to dip in a recession. Did you know that? Dip in the recession. Mm-hmm. No. You would think it would be the other way around, right? Unless you just couldn't afford the booze. However, this is interesting. These are coronavirus statistics. There's been a 25.8 million dollar increase in liquor sales in just Ohio from March 2019 to March 2020. I guess there is no prohibition during coronavirus. That is exactly what we're talking about this week. We're talking about, we're calling the show Prohibition. Uh, so today we're going to talk about the oh. origins of Prohibition, like what happened before Prohibition. Um, I thought you just spelled that wrong. No, I'm clever. So Prohibition celebrates its 100th anniversary this year. Like the 100th anniversary, uh, I, I guess maybe not necessarily Prohibition, but the 18th Amendment was ratified 100 years ago this year. Did you know that? You probably did. Yes, I did. But maybe they didn't. So today we're going to talk about um, kind of the Oregon, or Oregon's origins of prohibition. And uh, Steve and I may or may not be imbibing in honor of our topic. Uh, but not a lot. It's fine. So... By the year 1830, the average American over 15 years old consumed nearly seven gallons of pure alcohol a year, which is three times as much as we drink today. Okay, now I'm going to say right here, as Kim said, she did the research, so my job this week is just to come in and ask those... (laughs) Provide uh, analysis. Provide analysis and uh, clarifying questions. And smart aleck responses. Yeah. But but next week, Kim will get her turn. Oh, yes. Um, so, 1830, they're drinking three times as much as we drink today. Even with that, what is it, $25.8 million increase uh, thanks to coronavirus? Okay. So, 
Here in Ohio, they have declared essential businesses. The liquor stores are still open. <laughs> but what's not open as of today, um, there were two adult uh, adult <laughs> stores that were shut down in the local area today. Kind of Dayton famous staples, actually. At least one of them is. Um, they're, they have like a marquee outside their store and they write some inappropriate things on their, on their marquee sometimes. And they got shut down today. Womp womp. But cease and desist. Yeah. So apparently adult adult stores are not necessary during the corona pandemic. Um back I, in, I don't know. I'll go, I, I can't say that word. <laughs> back in the 1820s and 1830s, a wave of religious revivalism swept across the United States, which led for increased calls to, for temperance as well as other perfectionist movements like the abolitionist movement. So this was pre-Civil War, of course. Um and you had the people that were staunchly against slavery, largely because they felt it was not in keeping with biblical values. So prohibition, as we know it, the 18th Amendment, really had its roots way back well before the Civil War. Yes, absolutely. In the early early to mid-1800s. So wow. almost 100 years before it was, well, yeah, not even almost, 100 years before it actually happened. Hmm. So there was definitely a powder keg that was brewing here. No pun intended. Um, interestingly... Lick, liquor distills, beer brews. Whatever. I mean, it was all alcohol. It was all outlawed. Interestingly, much like today's activists, a lot of the activists in the 18 and 1900s were kind of in the same circles. You know how like today the animal rights people are usually also environmentally conscious and so on and so forth. It was the same, you know, it's always been the same. If you are an activist, generally you crusade for more than one cause. I think that's a fair assumption. I, yeah, I think so. And it, and it's always kind of been like that. If you have that heart and that passion and that drive for, um, justice, I guess, in your interpretation of justice, good on you. Uh, it's always kind of been like that. So in 1838, Massachusetts passed a temperance law banning the sale of spirits in less than 15-gallon quantities. And even though the law was repealed two years later, it set a precedent. Maine, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this, Maine passed the first state prohibition laws in 1846, followed by a stricter law in 1851. And we're going to talk more about the Maine law later. Now... We have some friends up in Maine, our, our TSP friends up there. Yes. And they're doing pretty good up in Maine as th- far as like pretty good. numbers wise, as far as the pandemic is concerned, they seem to be doing all right. But they were the first to, uh, yeah, guys, set sorry. Prohibition. Yeah. Which is interesting because there's not a lot to do in Maine except moose hunt, moose hunt and drink. <laughs> That's not true. Okay. Um, after after the Civil War was over, a lot of those activists found them, like the abolitionists, they found themselves with some time on their hands. And it was around this time that the Industrial Revolution started and millions of immigrants started coming in. Now, this is interesting to me from sort of a biased sociological standpoint. A lot of the abolitionists, so people who had problems with slavery and Africans being owned had problems with white immigrants and used them as scapegoats. Hmm. So I think it was not necessarily like the Africans themselves that they were concerned with. It was just the idea of slavery because they really didn't like immigrants coming over from Europe. They were portrayed as uneducated and dirty and lazy, and the immigrants coming over from Europe were here to take jobs and move off of hardworking Americans. That's a lot of the same thing that we hear right now from some circles. Yes. There are a lot of similarities. Um, It's uncanny. In fact, I was talking to Steve earlier about an article that I read this morning. There was a guy who was, he's 107 years old, I think he lives in Sarasota. I know he lives somewhere in Florida, but they did an interview with him and he was five when the Spanish flu came through. And he said, you know, I don't really remember 
a lot about the Spanish flu, except that there was a little boy that lived across the street from me who was my age and he died. He said, I remember people posting signs on their houses that they were infected or whatever and don't come in. Um, And they asked him, the reporter asked, do you think that there will be a depression after the COVID epidemic like there was after the Spanish flu? Um, And the guy said, oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I've heard a lot of analysis about I mean, we're really getting off track. But yeah. I've heard, well, I've, it's more of the like the history repeating itself. It's really yeah. uncanny and really interesting. But I've, I've heard some analysis that if is everything has shut down right now, pretty much. All, most business, everything is shut down. I think most economists, a lot of economists are, if, if they're not trying to take a political slant to this, are mm-hmm. saying that, when when the economy comes back, it should revive quickly. But I think in my mind, I don't think this is like, okay, on the 1st of June, it's over and oh, everything no. goes back. I think it's going to be a slow, yeah. let's get back to normal. It's not going to be back to normal overnight. I think it's going to take a period of months to oh, get yeah. back to normal. Well, we have so much area in the United States, too, that it's making its way slowly through the U.S. population. But... We are absolutely getting way off track. (laughs) Let's go back to our topic at hand. So uh, in addition to the immigrants being portrayed poorly, they also brought their own cultural customs with them while attempting to assimilate into a new land, which in many cases meant beer and liquor. Um, Even today, the United States has a very different attitude towards alcohol than the rest of the world does. Yeah, like if you're in... I've lived in Germany for many many years and in germany to drink a beer it's it's i mean you can buy it at mcdonald's yeah it's not looked on like it is here americans will generalization will go out and they will binge Mm -hmm. and drink it's like party night or something like that but the germans europe mostly it's just like and the beer is different too like i remember the first time i ever had a german beer it tasted like drinking a loaf of bread yeah, and but I mean it's like no big deal. You just sit down with dinner instead yeah. of getting water, you get a beer and it's that's just the custom and over here it's looked on completely different. And it probably goes back to back to prohibition. It wouldn't surprise the, me at all. These things that you're talking about pre-World mm-hmm. War, pre-Civil War, I mean. Yeah. yeah. So enter the Women's Christian Temperance Union, the WCTU. We're going to talk about them quite a bit. <sighs> what what do you have? You don't like the woman's, the, the WCTU? <laughs> Joy kills. <laughs> Kill joys, is that what it is? Yeah, I'm mixing my words up. <laughs> um, the WCTU was founded all the way back. And also, I'm so sorry, Ohio. We're leading the charge in the temperance movement. Just, just want to throw it out there. I'm sorry. Uh, The WCTU was founded all the way back in 1874 in Cleveland as a general group to campaign for labor laws, prison reform, and suffrage. All good things, but by 18... Suffrage, women's rights. Yes, women's rights and the women's right to vote. But by 19... uh, Or 1898, the WCTU had begun to focus pretty much exclusively on prohibition. They even managed to get into the schools and be a part of the school system. And we're going to talk about that as well, too, in a little bit. Now, I wonder why the women were so involved. Was it the men were out drinking and getting wild and coming home and they were being abused by drunken yes, husbands? that was a big part of it. Okay. Um, just uh, they, you know, they, they felt like... Uh, they had enough. Yeah, and liquor was controlling their husbands and turning them into something that was not good. Um, Women and Protestants actually led the charge against alcohol at the turn of the century. Like we said, women credited liquor with abuse, and religious folks viewed it as corrupt and ungodly. And in 1893, the Anti-Saloon League was founded, the ASL. By uh, 1895, it was the most powerful lobby in the nation. Also founded in Ohio in Oberlin, which is near Columbus. Hmm. So in just two years from its foundation to becoming the most powerful lobby ever, 
Well, maybe not ever, but in the nation at the time, ASL. It was nonpartisan, but much in the same way that the WCTU targeted schools, the ASL targeted churches, especially Baptists and Methodists, and you can still see their kind of footprints in the Southern Baptist tradition today. Southern Baptists, air quote, don't drink. Um, it's kind of a, a like a basic tenet of of their religion. Yeah. They're very, um, basically, they, they, the idea is that the Bible prohibits drunkenness, so to ensure that you are not drunk, just don't drink. Yeah, they, they, they take that, I don't want to say to the extreme, but I mean, you know, I am not going to sit here, if that is your belief and that's your faith, oh, absolutely. Then, then go for it and do that. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing wrong with it either way. Um, but the Baptists and the Methodists were really targeted by the ASL. They had their own publishing house. So they were able to spread their message really easily. And during their heyday, the ASL actually issued 40 tons of anti-liquor publications each month. Paper weighs a lot, though. <laughs> that's, a lo- that's a lot of pamphlets. 40 tons a month? I mean, a ream of paper 40 weigh- tons. weighs, let's say, roughly a pound. That's 500. This is like... That is a lot of paper. The early ni- late 1800s, early 1900s. Anyway, so in addition to the women and the and the clergy, um, a lot of factory owners were on board with prohibition because they thought that prohibition would prevent workplace accidents and increase efficiency. Because back then, uh, there were not the the drink like it was not a thing to not drink at work. Okay, so while stationed in Germany. You were allowed to go out and have two beers at lunch uh, in the workplace, especially where the Germans worked. Yeah. Uh, they, they had beer soda machines. Wow. Basically, you go up and you put your marks. At that time, it was the Deutschmark in the machine, and it would dispense a beer. Side note, a McBeer, which I got while I was in Germany, and that's what they actually call it. They call it a McBeer uh, at McDonald's. At McDonald's. Yeah. It, it's not great. Like, it's really, it's, it's basically like Bud Light or something. It's not like a fancy beer. It's, it's what you would expect to get at McDonald's, I guess. Um, around this time, in 1905, you've heard of Upton Sinclair's book, The Jungle? I love that book. We've read that book, haven't we? We read it on the way to Florida one, one we, year. We listened to it on the way to Florida. We did, yes. Yeah. We didn't read it. We listened to it on a pod, or not on a podcast, but on an audiobook on the way to Florida. It's a really interesting book. If you've never read it, it's a work of fiction, um, but it absolutely uh, is based in truth. Like it, it's historical based on fiction. It, exactly. You it, gave me a hard time <laughs> during one show about historical fiction. It is historical fiction. So the story itself, the characters, are not real people, but the events are... They could have been. The events are very commonplace for the time. Um, And and it was a huge hit. And actually, in Upton Sinclair's own words, he said, quote, I aimed at the public's heart, and by accident, I hit it in the stomach. So Sinclair not only described the conditions of the meatpacking industry, which are abysmal at the time... I don't think we ate a hamburger that Ooh, old trip. It was rough. If you have, if you haven't read The Jungle, I mean, remember it was written in the early 1900s, so the language is a little bit different, but it's not so different that you can't get through it. Um, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Just don't eat any time that you don't eat any any time around when you plan on reading, especially beef. That'd be enough to make you go vegan. It, I mean. It, it was rough. And actually, Upton Sinclair's book, that same year it came out in 1905, like immediately following um, the release of his book, some se- serious... I don't think that's when the FDA was founded. The FDA was later... Or the FDA actually in its precursor was founded not too long after that, but immediately food regulations started when that book came out. But not only um, did his book describe the meatpacking industry, but also the lives of its workers, which included CD bars, mislabeled liquor, which I think you're going to talk a little bit about next week, and beer available at all hours with free lunches and free in quotes. 
because you could get a free lunch at the bar, but of course, whatever they gave you is going to be super salty to inspire thirst because your beer wasn't free. And that's why they have peanuts and salty things at the bars today. Yep. I haven't ever actually seen that. Come to think of it, I've never seen peanuts at a bar. Okay. <laughs> That's like a common bar stereotype, but I've never actually seen that. Do they still do, do they do that anywhere? I don't actually go to a lot of bars, but we go to, I mean, a lot of well, but a lot of the places we go are like bars slash restaurant. Yeah. Like our our beloved Fifth Street Brew Pub um and Lucky's and so their bar restaurants. They have way better stuff than peanuts. Um, so you could get a free lunch, but it was very, very salty. And of course your alcohol wasn't free. And in addition to all of this, there was rampant prostitution. In fact, there's some pretty graphic, um, things in Upton Sinclair's book, uh, talking about prostitution and how just like the dirty living conditions and just, it was, it was, it's a rough read. So it had a massive effect on the national conscience. And inspired a lot of people to equate these living conditions um, and working conditions with alcohol consumption. And a lot of big name industrialists were on board with prohibition. Like when the guy fell on the vat and they processed him and turned him into sausage. Yes, that is in the book. If you haven't read it, like it, yeah, there's some pretty graphic and grotesque things uh, in Upton Sinclair's The Jungle. Um. Back to prohibition. <laughs> We're getting so off topic so much, but it's not really. Um, so Henry Ford was on board with prohibition. John D. Rockefeller, Andrew Carnegie. Now, let me guess why. Yes, go. Okay, because they had production schedules to meet, and if their workers were drinking and drunk, one, they're, they may not be working at 100% efficiency, or, or they may be sitting around laughing and joking like, tends to happen when people are drinking beer. Mm -hmm. So I bet it was more of a production and efficiency deal. Partially. And safety. Partially. But there is also a haves and have nots element to prohibition. Because these these big guys, uh, Ford, Rockefeller, Carnegie, like these big name guys, they could afford expensive liquor that would keep for a really long time compared to the grunt workers who could buy, you know, five cent, 10 cent beers, they can't afford liquor that can age really well. And, and you don't have to tap into it right away and drink it or it's going to go bad. So if you had money, you could afford the expensive stuff and then put it up and kind of ration it. If you didn't have money too bad. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's actually a, a, a very consistent argument throughout um, prohibition is that the people who. I mean, I don't. Maybe with beer will get old, but liquor. Yeah, tends well, to, liquor, like good liquor, safe liquor. And I mean, we'll like, get into this next week. That's why you get week. like to. 15 year. Yeah, we'll get into a little bit of this next week is um, like what safe liquor versus unsafe liquor because there were a lot of. Uh, Don't steal my thunder. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm trying not to. But what you saw wasn't necessarily what you got when it came to liquor. Might so, make you go blind. Exactly. So if you could afford the good stuff, um, you know, then you didn't have to worry about it. All right, so speaking of the people who were affected by prohibition, um, I want to bring out some names right now and some some a, a little bit of a cast of characters, if you will, uh, that were integral at the beginning of the prohibition era. Uh, first, we're going to talk about a lady named Mary Hunt who worked with the WCTU, remember the Women's Christian Temperance Unit, and her title was the superintendent of the Department of Scientific Temperance Instruction. (laughs) Yay for her. So you give yourself a big title and make yourself sound important. Uh, yeah. Okay. If you're a Harry Potter fan, think a little bit of Mary Hunt as Dolores Umbridge. 
and you'll kind of understand where she's coming from and what her role in all of this is. Okay, you're going to have to... I watched the movie, but that <laughs> Okay, means- so Dolores Umbridge was the one who took over Hogwarts as like the principal, basically, when Dumbledore was not around. And the she, mean one? Yes. Okay. Yes, she always dressed in pink, and she like made the students write... I remember. and etched into their skin. Okay. So Mary Hunt is, is like our prohibition Dolores Umbridge. Um, she was relentless. Now, remember, at this time, women couldn't vote. This is, this is before suffrage really, really took off and, and, uh, and women had a say in politics. However, she was speaking in the halls of legislative bodies, like, I mean, big time going to the state house and talking to the men who were running the country. And because of her and her perseverance and just her wearing people down, most schools, I mean, honestly, most schools instituted the WCTU curriculum. You know what I'm talking about guys. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Anyway, During the 1901 to 1902 school year, 22 million children were taught her version of the evils of alcohol. Hmm. (laughs) Okay. You know, (laughs) (sighs) I expected you to have something more to say there. No, I, no. (laughs) Okay. So basically the WCTU kind of picked and chose scientific facts to present to kids via classes. So like think the just say no program that was around in the eighties and early nineties. Yeah. Um, which I, or the dare program, which came after just say no. So I was a kid growing up during just say no. And it had a really big effect on me. Like I can remember, um, one afternoon and just say no was extracurricular, but pretty much everybody was involved with it. And, and it was the same way with the WCTU stuff that they really, they could censor textbooks. Did they have cool looking Jeeps? They like did not. The dare cop <laughs> they did not. They the did Jeep not. around here. Okay. They did not, but they had a say as to what could go in the textbooks that were published to distribute to the schools um, and they had like after school clubs and lessons and or the, the basically the, the same idea. I so, remember once when I was in just say no, they brought in like actual lungs. Like they brought in the lung of a smoker and the lung of a non-smoker and like the heart of a heroin addict and the heart of a non-heroin addict. And so a lot of those, uh, kind of procedures, I guess, educational procedures came from Mary Hunt. Wow. So, you know, I, I'm getting the picture here that a lot of politics. A lot of politics. I mean, I, I would almost equate this right now to the abortion issue in the United States. Yeah. And it's you either know, you're for it or you're against it. Yes. And it's, very, it's a very complicated issue. It's not black and white, that's for sure. But was, it, was, was there as much, um, vi- I don't want to say violence, but there passion, was act- yes. passion related to this? Yes. And we're going to talk about that with our next cast of our next character in the story. But um, with Mary Hunt, it's really interesting because I did try to find like, how does one person get so much influence? Like the, the women's Christian temperance unit or a union, they could basically have say over what went into textbooks. I can't imagine like a lobby basically. You don't think that's happening right oh, now? Oh, I know it. I know it is, but it's basically like this one woman at a time when women didn't necessarily have a voice. Was she rich? Not especially, no. Well, I mean, what's not especially? So, but I, I did do a little bit of digging and it sounds like um, it was a grassroots campaign from WCTU and they included letter writers, petitions, speeches, stuff like that. So it was more just, it wasn't the money, it was the passion and the like the drive and the diligence of we are going to make sure that this gets on the books and we are not going to give up and we're just going to nag you and fuss at you and and we're not quitting until you listen to us. Well, I mean, women kind of have that thing going for them. I mean... Careful. Yeah, I know, but... The women have a lot of power. 
We do. Yeah. You know, it, you know, even though, you know, you, you talk about the glass ceiling and stuff like that, women still and always have indirectly had a lot, I think, a lot of say into what goes on. There, I, I've read too many stories like, like these big, rich, powerful men. There's been the woman there whispering in their ear. Well, yeah, they say behind every good man time, is a good time, woman. Times have changed, but I think that that woman was whispering in their ears. Oh, yeah. And so they, and, you know, I'll get in trouble by saying this, but I think women have always had a, a say, whether direct or indirect. Mm-hmm. And now it's just more direct yeah. publicly no, op- no hate out mail. in the open. Yeah, please, please don't stop listening to us. Um, and, and sometimes, and you make a valid point, and I wonder sometimes if the glass ceiling has, and I'm probably going to get hate mail over this, but has had a more of a beneficial effect than not in the sense that it is an obstacle to overcome. And it is my opinion, my personal opinion, that women are fighters and that women like, women are are very strong. I mean, we have to be. Like to to carry babies and birth them and go through all of the things that women have to go through, women are are very strong. And I think sometimes we like a good challenge and the glass ceiling is an example of a good challenge that everybody's ready to, you know, let's get through this. We can do it. There's my pro-feminism rant for the moment. Anyway, you're... <laughs> If if you can see the look on Steve's face right now, play the cricket sound because that's that's what your face is right now. No, I like women, and I hope you like women. Yeah. You're living in a house with a whole bunch of them. There's a whole bunch of them right now. <laughs> anyway, so Mary Hunt, um, our Dolores Umbridge. Uh, you know what? Don't let me go back. I, I think it's we we try to compare and we try to I don't want to say segregate, but like right now. I see so many memes, and rightly so, and I understand the intent. We see these memes like... Oh, we're going like, into this one, Yeah, huh? yeah. Like the grocery store worker, the the truck driver, the the people who at, are keeping the country going right now, yeah. who, are, who are doing these very essential jobs, but they're, they're segregating and trying to just say only these people are doing this. And I think it goes, you know, what's the theme right now? It's we're all in this together. It's, Absolutely. It's, it, you know, my personal opinion right now, and, you know, we're, we're jumping back to COVID, but... You can't escape it. Let's you, be you honest. It's it right everywhere. Yeah. It's like, right now, it's taking everybody, whether you are that grocery store clerk doing that very essential job of getting people their food and what they need, or mm-hmm. whether you're that biochemist right now trying to find a vaccine or a doctor or a nurse or a truck driver, or even if you're the person who is working from home, so many of these jobs and so many of these things are essential that, you know, these trucks just aren't going to get themselves scheduled and go where they got to go unless there's someone planning that. And that person may be doing that from home. So I, my whole thing on this, we're all in this together. Even yeah, the nobody's people, any better than anybody yeah. else. Your college education versus your trade school versus no education whatsoever. Everybody needs everybody else. Yeah, even if you're just staying at home right now, not spreading the virus. You're doing your part. You're doing your part right now. All right, so can we get back to prohibition? Yeah, back to prohibition. Rant over. All right, so... Um, we have a lot of time to think right now. I, I'm so sorry. We're getting off on so many tangents. I apologize for this episode. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, Mary Hunt even managed to pressure schools into letting her and her cronies in the classrooms to monitor teachers, which obviously didn't go over real well with the teachers. Um, So there was a big pushback on that one. Uh, But some of the laws that she helped inspire are still on the books today. And then obviously she helped shape drug and alcohol education for generations and is still... I mean, some of the groundwork for the programs that are being taught. So she's in schools, the grandmother of Dare. Yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so some of the programs that are used in schools are easily traced back to Mary Hunt. Um, you ask about violence and and passion with prohibition, and uh, we're going to talk about a guy named Neil Dow, who has been called the father of prohibition. 
He was a Quaker from Maine. So back to our buddies in Maine, we mentioned we were going to talk about the Maine law. He was elected president of the Maine Temperance Union in 1850, and he was elected mayor of Portland in 1851. Now, he, his kind of rise to power and, and flash in the pan is going to happen very quickly. He was instrumental in getting the sale of alcohol banned throughout Maine, uh, and he instituted pretty harsh punishments for lawbreakers. So elected in 1851 to mayor of Portland, and in 1855, his opponents rioted. They, the riot was led by a lot of Irish immigrants who looked at the Maine law, which was what it, the sale of alcohol banned throughout Maine was known as the Maine law. Um, the Irish looked at it as... <laughs> That's kind of funny. The main law. Oh, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> the Irish looked at it as sort of a racial attack on their culture because the Irish, um, you know, Germans have beer, Irish have whiskey. That was kind of the way it was back in the day and kind of even still, I guess, stereotype today. Uh, if you're from Ireland, you got... You got you like Guinness beer. and Harp yeah, and... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But so the Irish um, really did not like Neil Dow. Uh, and so he had ordered a significant amount of alcohol for, for distribution to pharmacists and doctors. So the main law, um, I guess had a provision and it's kind of cloudy. It's not real clear as far as the wording of it. It kind of had a provision for mechanical use of alcohol and for use in medicine by doctors and pharmacists. We'll talk about that next week too. So... Um, Dow had ordered a bunch of alcohol for distribution to the pharmacists and the doctors, and somehow the whereabouts of all of this alcohol that he'd ordered had been disclosed. The public found out about it. On June 2nd, a group of about 200 gathered at the city building at 5 p.m., and throughout the evening, that number grew to about 2,000. And the city of Portland at the time had about, I think it was the city of Portland, might have been the entire state of Maine, I'm not sure, but there were like 21,000 people at the time. It sounds like the population of whole Maine, maybe. It it must be the state, though, that many gathered. Maine's pretty big. Yeah, but 2,000 people um, were in this same place at the same time. They were all angry. And as happens when a lot of the time, when you get a group of angry guys together, rock throwing and shoving started. And so Dow called out the militia and he ordered them to fire into the crowd. A, one guy was killed. Seven others were injured. And interestingly enough, so that happened in 1855. In 1856, the law was repealed. Hmm. So... And interestingly, also, he ended up getting in trouble for ordering all of the alcohol that started everything in the first place because um, a higher court ruled that that order was that the order of the alcohol was illegal, according to the main law. So the law that he helped write, he broke himself. And as a result, one guy was killed. Seven others were injured. And we there was a big riot. Unintended consequences. Oh, it was bad. Um, let's talk about one of the most famous ladies in all of history. I love this lady so much. She is a trip. Mrs. Carrie Nation. You've heard of her, I'm sure. Yeah, I know who Carrie Nation is. So Carrie Nation described herself as a quote, a bulldog running along at the feet of Jesus, barking at what he doesn't like. And, uh, and that's a very accurate description. I think of her. Um, she had a rough time growing up. She moved around a lot with a mother who was eventually institutionalized and she had a fair amount of her own health problems. When Carrie was in her early twenties, she met and married a young doctor, but they separated a year after she got married just before her daughter was born. And her husband died of alcoholism a year after that. So alcohol has played a part in her life in her young, um, life so far. Later, she married a man named David Nation, who was a lawyer and a preacher and 19 years older than her. So a little bit of a a senior um, husband. You know, he was a little bit older and wiser than her first husband. Yep. They ended up in Kansas, where Carrie started a local branch of the WCTU. 
And she would often set up an organ in front of bars and sing while greeting bartenders with things like, good morning, destroyer of men's souls. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she was a regular old ray of sunshine. I bet she was Miss Popular. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) Okay. So in 1900, Carrie Nation got a call from God, and this is a direct quote from Carrie Nation. She said, I, and I'm, I hope I'm saying the name of this town correctly. She said, I was awakened by a voice which seemed to me speaking in my heart these words, go to Kiowa, 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 Kiowa. sorry. Okay. Go to Kiowa. And my hands were lifted and thrown down and the words, I'll stand by you. The words go to Kiowa were spoken in a murmuring musical tone, low and soft, but I'll stand by you was very clear, positive and emphatic. I was impressed with a great inspiration and the interpretation was very plain. It was this, take something in your hands and throw at these places in Kiowa and smash them. Now, I bet it was rocks. Now, wait a minute. Steve and I have made no secret of the fact that we are churchgoers, um, that we are of the Christian persuasion. However, I, so I do believe, I personally believe that um, God can lead people and that God does, has throughout history spoken to people. However, I also do want to remind you that Carrie Nation's mother suffered from mental illness at this point in time. So keep that in the back of your mind. Because Carrie went to a saloon in Kiowa, Kansas, and she started smashing stuff with rocks. And then she did the same thing at two other saloons. So. Miss Popular. God told her to go to Kiowa and break stuff, according to her, and she did. But. Okay, now. Okay, but. We're about to come on to Holy Week right here. Yes. And Jesus had a temper. He went into the temple and tore some stuff up. And interestingly enough, after Carrie Nation hit Kiowa, so did a tornado. Like very soon after she went there. So she figured that she had God's approval and and she upgraded. So between 1900 and 1910, she was arrested about 30 times for taking a hatchet to several bars and destroying property while singing and praying. If they had the three strikes you're out, she would have been in prison oh, by now. Oh, she was, yeah. Okay. So in the political world, the 16th Amendment was passed in 1913, and the text of the 16th Amendment reads, The Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States, but all duties, imposts, and excises shall be uniform throughout the United States. So, translation. Up to this time, there was no federal income tax. Yes. Okay. So, translation, the United States now had a federal income tax and no longer needed liquor taxes, so we could open the way to get rid of liquor because we didn't need the money from it anymore on a national level. PSA, normally tax day is the 15th of April. It has now been extended to 15 July. Nationally. Nationally. Your state will have its own own Ohio is the same. Yes. Also, Germans. Uh, We talked about how Germans made beer, um, and that was part of their culture that they brought over from Germany when they immigrated to the United States. Uh, And they were also now the bad guy because at this point we're up to World War I. So in the 1917, after the United States entered World War I, President Woodrow Wilson issued a temporary wartime prohibition in order to save grain for producing food. Okay, so... That makes sense. Yeah, okay. Now, that was 1917. Also in 1917, Congress submitted the 18th Amendment, and it was ratified within 11 months, even though it had been given a seven-year time limit. Like, they had seven years to decide whether to pass this amendment or not. They did it in 11 months. That's got to be some kind of a record. I... I don't know. But I wonder what was driving in their minds, what was driving them. I right think now. just all of the stuff that we've been talking about, like it was, it was going on fierce and still hot and heavy at this point. Now the night, the Spanish flu had not hit yet. 
not quite yet. Okay. Now, in October 1919, Congress put forth the National Prohibition Act, which took effect on January 17th, 2020, in the form of a constitutional amendment. And it reads, after one year from the ratification of this article, this is the entire the entire text, by the way. Like the 18th the, Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. Yes, the 16th Amendment that I, I read a few minutes ago, that was just part of it. This is the entire text of the 18th Amendment. What was the 17th? You think I don't know, don't you? I know you know. It basically gave voters the power to directly elect their senators and stated that the U.S. Senate included two senators from each state. That is a lot of amendments to the Constitution in a very short time. I mean, it really is. Yeah, that's pretty historical in itself. That was. So 16, 17, now we're up to 18, which says, after one year from the ratification of this article, the manufacture, sale, or transportation of intoxicating liquors within the importation thereof into or the exportation thereof from the United States in all territory subject to the jurisdiction thereof for beverage purposes is hereby prohibited. That for beverage purposes is going to come into play a lot next week. So no liquor goes out. No liquor comes in for beverage purposes. For beverage purposes. Now, Initially, enforcement was assigned to the IRS. The Internal Revenue Service. Mm -hmm. Then uh, turned over to the Justice Department, and then eventually the federal government created a Prohibition Bureau, and that's where we're going to pick up next week. Yep. And those federal agencies will change in turn because at this point we didn't have a Federal Bureau investigation. Oh, really? Yeah, we... So, a lot of stuff. So, basically, what we've done right now, Kim has brought you up to speed with why we had prohibition, all the historical, all the... This is the the groundwork. The groundwork Mm -hmm. that led up to this. And what is... I mean, I knew prohibition... It's, it's it's really not, not as, something you study in school, but yeah, we, you know there was prohibition, and it's not as fun and glamorous as necessarily what you would think it was. There's oh, it's going to get fun next week. <laughs> There's a lot of ins and outs to it. Yeah, but it I had no idea that it went back so far, that the history mm-hmm. of prohibition, the 18th Amendment, went back so far. It's got some pretty in the deep history roots. of the United States. Yeah, there's like yeah deep deep roots as to why it led up to this in mm-hmm. what 1919. Uh, yes, in um, so. It was ratified in October of 1919. And brought into law in 20, And then it started January 17th, ni- or 2020. Yeah. Not, not 2020, 1920. Holy cow. My notes. So, yes. Um, so, Prohibition officially started January 17th, 2020. Again, amazing to me that... 1920. <laughs> almost, almost 100 years of history led up to this. Yeah, it's it's kind of eerie how um things are happening like the same things not that we have prohibition now but the fact that you a lot of people cannot get beer and alcohol right now because of the coronavirus shutdown who i mean i don't know other well, you just states, said at like, the end of the show like liquor sales are up <laughs> liquor stores are open but you can't go to the bar anymore in most of the most states, you can't just go and sit and have a beer. That's true. So, I mean, obviously there are differences, but we went from, we've gone from the Spanish flu almost a hundred years later, we've got the coronavirus and now we've got the bars shut down and almost a hundred years later, we've got the bar shut down. Yeah. So there you go. Which is part I mean, of the reason there, why there are we, a lot of parallels, whether they are directly related or not. It's just parallels, but yeah. 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 So there you go. All right, what are we going to talk about next week? Well, so Kim has brought you up to the point of prohibition. The 18th Amendment has been passed. Next week, I'm going to talk about all the cool stuff. We're going to talk about rum running. My stuff was cool. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to, I'm going to talk about rum running. I'm going to talk about bootlegging. I'm going to talk about gangsters. I'm going to talk about speakeasies. I'm going to talk about how distilleries got around prohibition for producing. Alcohol for 
medicinal purposes only. That's actually really interesting. We've taken some really interesting distillery tours. Don't steal my thunder. I won't, but um, I think we're going to talk about one in particular that we personally have visited that is like one of the few that wasn't shut down during yeah. Prohibition. It had, yeah, we'll get there next week. And we're going to talk... You, you can't talk about Prohibition. It's like right now they're talking about New York is in the United States, mm-hmm. is the epicenter of this. Yeah. I think it would be safe to say that Chicago oh, was the yeah. epi- epicenter of this. Like, we're going to talk about they gangsters. They even wrote a musical about it. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about gangsters, all sorts of cool stuff next week. We're going to talk about the stuff when you think about Prohibition. That's what we're going to be <laughs> talking about next week. Kim did a great job, I think, <laughs> leading us up to it, but I'm going to talk about all the You're going to make my stuff sound so boring. Yeah. Sorry. Elliot Ness, Jay, uh, Jay Edgar. So you're going to talk about, I'm going to talk about the, the gangsters, gr- the, the basics. And you're going to talk about the, you're going to see all the glamorous stuff. I got the fun stuff. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway. So. All right. So write to us, please write to us. Honestly, like let us know how you're doing. Um, we really would love to read some comments on the show about uh, wherever you are, whether it be stateside or international, please write to us and let us know how you're doing, what you're doing, um, wh- how how your state is People are upset right things. now. Last night, I had to go on a phone conversation to get some paperwork turned in for something. And I just asked the, the operator... Is that what? Oh my gosh, she was so sweet. I loved her. And just ask her how she was doing, if she was okay, because I know she was working in a call center, and if she was doing okay, and if she felt safe, and that what should have taken maybe three minutes. I bet I was on the phone with this lady for probably an hour. If you are mean to Miss Sharika, I will find you and hunt you down because she was the nicest lady. We talked about everything from. Toilet paper shortages and how she wasn't happy with the, the off-brand toilet paper that she had to buy. And she validated my existence by telling me grandma should be fluffy and nobody likes hugging a skinny grandma. So yeah. I loved Miss Sharika. If you're listening, thank you so much. You made our evening. By, by the time we got done talking, this lady was, she had honest to goodness tears of joy. Yeah. It just because she said, you know, work. she said that working in the call center, so many people will just call her and cuss at her and mean to her, and it's not her fault. Right. She has Be nothing nice, to do with guys. it. Be nice, guys. Come on. Yeah. You're talking to other people that are just trying to do their jobs. They're in the same position you are. They hate it just as much as you do. It sucks for everybody. Be nice to each other. Yeah, please. Just especially right now, things are, you know, People are uptight. People are worried. There's no call for being nasty. You know, we, we all got to get through this thing together right yeah. now. And so coronavirus is going to kind of drive a lot of stuff. It, it's getting us off I mean, topic on the show. You can't it. help it right now it's because everywhere. it's happening. This is one of those it's a historical moment altering events. I yeah. mean, yeah, so it, it, it's history we're living through right now. So write to us. Give us um, if there's anything that you're doing with your family, your kids, or even just you. Like if there's this, uh, any tips for surviving lockdown with your spouse or your kids or whatever, send us ideas. Let us know how you're doing. Um, you can write us at uh, alosthour at gmail.com. You can also find us there on Twitter and on Facebook and Instagram. Send us pictures too. We love that on Instagram. Uh, tag us on your in your uh, coronavirus pictures at an hour of your life on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. So, you know, here, here we are. We hope, you know, no one knows what next week's going to bring. They're, they're no. saying it's going to get rough next yeah. week and the next two weeks. We hope that we are here to talk to you next week because we're not immune from this virus like no one is. So take care. Keep your social distancing. Yes, please. If you also, please don't be the reason that parks get shut down. That's keep, like our only escape right now. Keep your, if you got a chance, don't take the whole <sighs> daggone family to Kroger. Keep the kids out of Kroger. Yeah, little germ factories. That's all you Kroger, need. Kroger, the grocery stores. Yeah. Protect them. They don't need to be exposed to this. Yes. It's, you know, flat earthers, it's here. Whether you believe it or not, it's here. Yeah. So. Anyway. Anyway. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> We've gotten on a lot of soapboxes tonight. Yeah. All right. So. From 
our studios in Beaver Creek, Ohio. We hope we're here next week to talk to you. Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us, guys. Sources this week include History.com, Ken Burns' film Prohibition, The Ohio History Central, The Whiskey Pages blog, Wikipedia, and the book Schools and Public Health by Michael Gard and Carolyn Pluham. Stay safe.